You notice in your bulletins that our scripture is uh, taken from Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 28. Let's uh, look at that together. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Let's pray together. Father, we must keep in mind that it's your time, your way, your will that will supersede anything that we might plan, consider, give thought to, desire. Your time, your way, your will, perfect and designed to bless us with what is best, even when we can't see it. Difficult times, Lord, you would see us through those difficult times. Seasons that are hard, you would see us through those hard seasons. Things that test us and try us, cause us difficulty and even suffering. All this in your time. You make everything beautiful in your time. And so help us to recognize this day, O Lord, Wherever we are in a season of life, a situation in life, an event, an activity, whatever it might be, it is designed in such a way that whatever it is, out of it can come good, as we love you as our God. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. It was um, a couple of weeks ago that uh, Jan and I, I guess, two or three weeks ago now, that Jan and I had an opportunity to go to Aurora University, Aurora College, our alma mater, to celebrate 50 years of class reunion. Uh, talk about something that makes you feel old is when you go to a reunion and see how old everybody is. I mean, you feel great, but everybody else is looking pretty bad, you know, just check them out. But one of the things that took place during that gathering, um, we had a, mem- a memorial service of those that we had lost since our last reunion. Um, And it was heavy to go through that time to reflect on what uh, had transpired, a season of life and then of death. And uh, I I was asked to share some thoughts at the service um, built around Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 11. And, and that passage, this text that Tom has read, has read this morning, has just stayed with me. I just keep on going back to it over those, those uh, days that have passed since our, our gathering there. But the one key verse that I, I want to point to that's from that passage is going to kind of be the theme for this morning. And that is, as it has already been sung, he has made everything beautiful in his time. Now, put that in relationship to the text that we just read from Romans, and particularly verse 28, where Paul writes, and we know 
that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. I believe the passages really do go together, hand in hand. A season that can bring difficulty, but out of it, good can come. And Paul reminding us that as whatever it may be, the situation as we can see it being an opportunity for God to do his good work in our lives. I want to go back to the passage in Ecclesiastes just for a little bit here. Recognizing that there is a season, a time for every matter under heaven. Uh, some of those are accented, a time to be born and a time to die. You know what, what comes to mind when I read that verse? A time to born, be born and a time to die. The number of funerals that I've, <laughs> I've used that passage at to remind us that it's life. You come into life and life expires. But after verse 2, there's this litany, a following, a, a, a comparison of uh, what is favored against what is grievous. What we consider as comforts compared to calamities. What we recognize as good, put up against that which we also recognize as bad. The seasons, again, I remind you, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. These contrasting seasons define life for us. It's what life is. As much as we would desire the good over the bad, both are contributors to who we are, what we have become, what we believe, and even sometimes what we do. As described in an exposition written by uh, Dr. McLaren, it, it helps me to put things in a concept that makes sense of where you have what appears to be contradictory forces, good against bad, of how they work together. Let me just read the quote, and maybe it'll make sense to you. As wheels turning different ways in some great complicated machine and yet fitting by their cogs into one another, there may be a resultant direct motion produced, even by these apparently antagonistic forces. Think of a machine, two wheels, joined together, the cogs interlocked. One's turning one direction, and one's turning the other. As they're going in opposite direction, the work of the machine is still accomplished. And so sometimes we need the good and bad to accomplish a purpose that maybe is greater than we ourselves can recognize. The litany of contrasting seasons is recognized by Solomon, which brings him to a profound conclusion. We have said it already twice, we have already sung it, and I'm going to say it again. He, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. When measuring life by seasons, it probably could be said that there's probably a majority of us here that are in our autumn years. Hmm. Um, Dr. Judith Rich uh, has described the autumn years of life thusly. She says that the autumn years are the later years in a person's life, 
traditionally a period that's marked by retirement or a gradual slowing down. The autumn years are increasingly referred to as the time when we realize we have lived more of our life than we have yet left to live. It's pretty sobering, isn't it? Our bodies remind us of the years accumulated. (laughs) We can't do all the things that we used to do. I have been reminded countless times of the fact that I'm a senior adult and I'm getting older. I'm reminded of it daily. Um, I, I go out and get the mail each day and I sort through the advertisements for senior centers, retirement communities, estate planning. And not too long ago, I got an advertisement for my local funeral home for a special deal. The number of ads on television are targeting our age bracket, and they seem to be on the increase. We are encouraged to invest in hearing aids, canes, walkers, stair lifts, walk-in baths, and medical alert systems. We are being recognized and targeted as a merchandising gold mine, based upon the assumption that we are frail and gullible. It wasn't so long ago that Jan and I were walking into a shopping center holding hands, which we often do, and a couple of ladies passed by on the, as we were coming in, and, and we heard them say, did you see that cute old couple? As kind as the comment was probably meant to be, the reminder that we are getting old was not received well. We may not like a particular season in life or the times of a season. We humans have little or no control over the times and changes that we experience in life. They come upon us. Yes, we create some of the situations for ourselves, but for the most part, it's just coming. And we got to deal with it as it comes. But our eternal sovereign God determines all of life's activities, all times, all events, all seasons. Paul said it. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, no matter what the season no matter what the time, no matter what the event that we have to deal with. He makes all things good, makes all things beautiful, works for the good. Um, The good comes to those who love the Lord, are found in all kinds of occurrences in our life, both good and bad. They strengthen our faith. They point us and shape us to to see Christ and to emulate him, to take on the character of Christ as we endure the hardships and exercise his attributes. Romans 5, 3, and 4 kind of points this out. It says, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Again, it's simply stating that good that comes from bad, comes from our sufferings, contributes to shaping us into the likeness of Christ as we pursue him 
in these difficult times. You might remember it was a few weeks ago. As a matter of fact, it was the last service that Pastor Matt was with us that he put in a bulletin a quote from Charles Spurgeon. I don't know if you remember it or not, but I want to read it to you this morning. Spurgeon writes, It is of no use to hope that we shall be well-rooted if no rough winds pass over us. Those old gnarlings of the roots on the oak tree and the strange twistings of its branches all tell of many storms that have swept over it, and they are also indicators of the depth into which the roots have forced their way. So, the Christian is made strong and firmly rooted by all the trials and storms in life. Profound and truthful, for sure. When I read these words, my thought immediately went to a dear friend who has endured so much heartache and pain as one crisis after another seems to come upon her and her family. In recent weeks, she's been at the bedside of a grandson who has been hospitalized following a serious automobile accident that almost took his life. It should be mentioned she is caring for her grandson as she has had to raise him, for he has come from a dysfunctional home life. She called out for prayers and testified that it has been the prayers that have kept her going. She expressed her hope in Christ that good will come from all this. Good for herself, good for the family, good for her grandson. She clings to the verse, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Another evidence of this good we find in these seasonal storms of life is addressed in the words of Paul as he wrote to the church in Corinth. He writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. It's simply saying, those of you who have gone through a difficult time and have found comfort in God are in a position possibly to be of assistance and help to others who are going through a difficult time and need to discover and experience the comfort of God. So your difficulty, your calamity, may be the very seed that's planted in you to help somebody else with the same circumstance. It was a dark and depressing season for Jan and myself as we endured the loss of our youngest child, Holly. I can remember the ride home from the hospital. Nothing was said in the car. But as we pulled into the driveway, we recognized that our house was being possessed by the members of this church 
People were there waiting for us. And the first two people to greet us, Mark and Anita Jameson, who were well-equipped and very sensitive to what was appropriate on this occasion. For they had gone through the season of losing their son Christopher not too long ago before our loss. Their sorrow, their grief, their ability to recognize the God of comfort were in a place to administer the same comfort to another grieving couple. That's how God works. For everything, there is a season, a time for every matter under heaven. God has made everything beautiful in his time. This is a great promise that addresses the good that can come out of the bad, out of every season of life. 1 Peter 5.10 really, I think, puts it in perspective of how really good it is. He writes, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, God himself, restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. In his time. There is not a greater contrast before us as Christians today of good and evil as represented by the cross. Ugliness and beauty portrayed as you look at the cross. There wasn't a darker time in the period of the history of man than when man, in his deepest sins, came against the very Son of God and hung him on a tree. He doesn't get any darker than that. Darkness overtook the time that Jesus was on the cross. It was so dark. But what resulted from that terrible tragedy brought upon the Son of God? There's a song I love, and I play it. I, when it comes on Pandora, I've got to stop what I'm doing, and i just got to listen to this song. It's, it's sung by Sila, and it's called Beautiful, Terrible Cross. I want to just read the words to you and let this penetrate, again, the contrast of the ugliness of the cross and the beauty of the cross. There is a beautiful, terrible cross. For though you committed no sin, Savior, you suffered the most wicked fate on the cruelest creation of men. Yet on that beautiful, terrible cross, you did what only you could, turning that dark, inspired evil of hell into our soul's greatest good. We see the love that you showed us. We see the life that you lost. We bow in wonder and praise you for the beautiful, terrible cross. There on that beautiful, terrible cross, 
though darkness was strong on that hill. You remain sovereign, Lord, still in control as, you, as your perfect plan was fulfilled. We see the love that you showed us. We see the life that you lost. We bow in wonder and praise you for the beautiful, terrible cross. Oh, we gain the riches of heaven. Jesus, you paid the horrible cost. We stand forgiven and praise you for the beautiful, terrible cross. The cross, the, imp- the instrument used by the Romans as the most torturous form of capital punishment. The cross upon which Jesus hung brought him shame, brought him rejection, brought him abandonment, mocking, agonizing suffering and and a gruesome death. The cross, it doesn't get any uglier than the cross. Deuteronomy 21, the law itself says, for a hanged man is cursed by God. But Paul writes to the Galatians, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. The beautiful cross. Jesus taking upon himself the curse that, is, that, we, that we deserve. The cross. To, to us, it's forgiveness of sin. It's, it's our reconcili- reconciliation with God. Romans 5.8. But the cross shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The cross. We're going to be joining together at the Lord's table. Remember, the Lord's table. It's not our table. It's the Lord's table. Spread for, before us to receive the bread and the cup, to remind us of the terrible cross, but the great gain that is ours as we trust in the one who paid the ultimate sacrifice by his life on the cross. It matters not whether you're a member of this church or not. It matters not. If you are one who professes a belief in the living Savior, Jesus Christ, one who lived among men, one who died, one who was resurrected and one who is coming again, his table is open to you. It is suggested again in the scriptures that we examine our hearts to know that we are right with the Lord. It's not by our righteousness. It is the rightness that we find in Christ that we've reconciled our differences with one another. We hold no malice toward anyone. And we have asked for the forgiveness of our sins as we approach the table. And in so doing, we receive the very elements that represent what Jesus did for us. His broken body, his shed blood. So I'm going to ask those who are going to be helped serving this morning to come and join together as we partake. Let's pray together.
May we be mindful, O Lord, of what was accomplished on the cross. May we be able to see not only the suffering that it represents, but the healing as well. And so as we partake of these elements, symbolizing your great sacrifice, may we experience and discover and acquire a deeper hunger, a deeper thirst for the bread of life, for that which quenches the thirst forever. More and more of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.